Okay, welcome to the Landco Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about the Illinois Recreational Tax Law. Welcome to the Landco Podcast, an analytical behind-the-scenes look into land investing and land ownership, covering marketing conditions, current inventory, and updates on all relevant land ownership issues here in Illinois, mixed in with some timely hunting and fishing reports. Okay, again, welcome. Um, so today we're going to cover as best we can, um, not in detail, the tax law because it's super tricky to figure out, but just kind of like in theory, um, what are ways that you can deal with it to avoid the, the giant tax increase in uh, if and when it happens. So I am here today with Kevin Aller. Kevin is a uh, DNR employee and I will uh, warn you, this isn't like Kevin's exact job like he his title is a district wildlife biologist so um, I mean he knows a lot more about this than I do because he has to deal with it but this isn't his sole job so um, I just invited Kevin because we've known each other for years uh, good dude um, so I thought he could help us out because I'm sure he understands it a little more than than we do so Kevin welcome to the show thanks for joining us thank you for having me you got it so let's start with what you actually do and then we'll jump into the uh, the tax law. A little bit. So you are a district wildlife biologist. That's correct. I started back in February of 1990 and uh, as a private lands biologist, solely, solely working on with private landowners, developing management plans, giving recommendations, helping them implement their plan. And then a few years later, they, they uh, decided to combine my duties and the district manager. So not only am I still trying to do some private land work, I'm doing a lot of state land activities, uh, ad administrative rules, uh, hunting programs, agricultural leases, cropping plans on, on state sites, plus nuisance work and, and of course the catch-all other duties as assigned. Right, um, which also the catch-all, which that includes, um, which is how I believe we first met back in, I think that was the North Creek property out by Oak Run, um, maybe, or at least one of them out there. And I think we developed a conservation stewardship program. Yeah. So, and, which probably falls into your catch-all duties a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and we will get into a conservation stewardship and what that is, because that is one of the solutions we're going to chat about. But uh, so from time to time, you have to deal with this, the, the tax change. So um, let's just fire, fire right into the questions on the that tax stuff. So... I'll start by saying this because, because I don't think Kevin can because he works for the state. And um, but I will say this: it is nearly impossible to get a concrete definition of what this tax law is. So just just know that when we're talking about this, it's it's largely subjective. It's kind of gray. Each county seems to handle it a little differently. I can read the the kind of the rule law word for word. And I come up with a different understanding of it every time. So that seems to be what's happening in the in each individual county. So just understand that. But so Kevin, the best best you can give us kind of a, a rundown of kind of what and how it changed and when it changed. Well, I believe back in two thousand and eight, which is probably when you and I met, um, the laws changed to where the the uh, there's a lot more interested in hunting property, quote, recreational ground, and the law changed. And so absentee landowners, if it wasn't all farmland, um, they changed the law that um, back in 08 to reassess property yeah. for, as recreational ground. So they were taking pieces that people were buying, and if it wasn't 
an ag farm, they're saying this isn't ag ground. It shouldn't be taxed as that. It should be taxed as a normal, a normal property, just like you would on a house. Correct. Okay. Correct. Um, and that's where it gets a little gray. Uh, some counties, um, if it was over fifty percent ag, they'd kind of leave you alone. I'm not sure if that was because that's how they interpreted the law, or they just couldn't handle all that, so they kind of picked and chose. But some co- counties did that. Other counties would say, um, well, if you're if you're fifty percent ag. We're going to leave the ag as is, but we're going to tax the other acres as recreational. So it seemed like, you know, again, it was different throughout counties. It seems to be a pattern that, that every county looks at this differently. Yeah. And it depends who it is, um, which I'm, I, th- I think that's fine to say, because if you file your taxes as a farmer, I don't think it matters if it's timber, right? I think at that point, everything you have is ag because you are uh, a farmer. I, I believe that's correct. Okay. Because... Um, back in my day in Knox County, when I was buying and selling more properties, they said pretty much, it doesn't matter what you buy, we're going to tax it as a recreational because we know that you're not a farmer and you're not buying it for ag purposes, which is fair. But they it also seemed like it matters who you are a little bit, which unfair or not. Again, we're not here to complain. The rule is the rule. So we're trying to figure out how to best deal with it, right? So... Uh, you said 2008. That means if you if you bought it before that, you're good, right? You're, until you get reassessed, you could be your uh, you could be reassessed. A landowner could be reassessed at any okay any given year, uh, but but prior to 08, I believe you're locked in. Okay, um, so this is for people who bought it after 08 or are like still considering because a lot of my buyers are very uh, just cautious of it, and I have to kind of talk them through because it's. It's not great, but it's not as doom and gloom as people think when they hear it because there's ways around it. So um, why do you think they made this change? Is it just because (laughs) it's hard to answer? Is it because they're broke? Is it because they think it was unfair before or... I, I'll, I'll have to save that one for okay. later. I don't know. It always gets back to money. Yeah. I guess it's, it would be the safe, the safe assessment. But hopefully these two alternatives we have that are available to landowners to consider will help ease their conscience and, and hopefully they'll buy land for, you know, as an investment or whatever they want to choose to do with it. Yeah. Well, I can answer. <laughs> I think it, that was about the time, 2000, when Illinois hunting property became more of like a, a business. Um, a lot of outfitters were popping up. It became very popular for people from out of state or whatever to buy it. So to me, it wasn't too much of a coincidence. But Illinois, they need money. I mean, and it seemed like a... Um, and when you combine that with the fact that like they're not farmers, they're not buying it for ag, it makes sense a little bit that they saw an opportunity for money and went after it. At least that's... Um, because I was on the opposite side, which is how we met. They taxed... I had a property in that Knox property. They said it was recreational and um, we didn't fight it. We didn't... We didn't say they were wrong. What we did is ask Kevin for some help to get it into one of these programs we're going to talk about to kind of like, you know, go through the process that they want you to. So it worked out fine. Everything was cool. So let's hop into that. Let's say you buy 100 acres and they say it's recreational. So that's where for the rest of these this exercise, let's pretend that's the case. Because it's not always the case. If you could buy 100 and if, if it's got 60 total, well, there's still a chance that they just keep it ag. But let's say for this um, exercise that somebody buys 100 acres 
you know, 30 acres tillable and they say, you know what, that farm is recreational. So this guy is in the situation that you don't want to be in, but you just have to deal with. Okay? Mm -hmm. So um, let's go over some options of what people have to do to lower their taxes. Because if they don't, one is to leave them. And we don't have to talk about that because that's easy. At that point, you buy a $300,000 property, it's taxed just like a house. If you do nothing, it's taxed like a house, right? Pretty much. Um, the, the landowner has has two options or three. One, leave it as it is. Uh, the, the other outlets are to enroll in the Forestry Development Act and manage the timber as a crop um, and still achieve wildlife objectives. Or the other is the Conservation Stewardship Program, um, which that's more for people with, I'll say, a lot of strip mine lakes, a lot of water, uh, folks that absolutely do not want to harvest or manage timber for production. So that the, those, those are the two options uh, that they can choose to do, for, do to work with. Okay. Um, I will say that if I or a DNR biologist or a DNR forester works with a landowner, those services are free. Uh, they're not obligated to me or in any way personally. Uh, I'm a technical advisor, as is a forester. Um, the landowner ultimately controls the property. They control access to the property. So um, that's, that's, I always like to emphasize yeah. that with folks, that you don't owe me anything for coming out. If I write a plan for somebody, there's no cost for that. And then any if if funds become available, which they have, haven't been available for, for quite a while, um, you know, I can provide cost share for seed, seedlings, chemicals. But yeah. I haven't seen that for a while. Well, you can do it. It isn't, uh, depends what it is, but I've seen Pheasants Forever has had some a little bit, not um, ongoing cost share, but like helping get seed going. And there, stuff. There's, 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 you know, private entities such as Pheasants Forever. And of course, then there's USDA programs like yeah. CRP and that, that, that might be able to provide cost share crep pro, um, um, oh, now I've forgotten it, but, uh, there's programs for the USDA or private entities right. like Pheasants Forever that might be able to help. Got it. And most of the, the, and that's a whole different podcast, but the CRP, CREP stuff is for the most part only on registered ag fields correct whereas if you get into pasture and stuff like that that doesn't qualify that's when equip that was equip, the program yeah. i couldn't think of yeah. so there is there has been and as each farm bill comes out um they change that every every so often but sometimes the clients will want to do stuff to ground us not ag and that's when the private stuff comes in you're not going to get ongoing payments but sometimes they'll help you put it into correct prairie grass or whatever. correct um, so uh let's talk about what Let's talk about first what these programs do to your tax rate, and then we'll get in and talk about kind of what they are and, and how you do them. So this is where it gets a little gray for me, uh, at least in parts of it. So let me tell you how I understand it, and you tell me where I'm wrong. <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> okay. So let's say it's, it's um, there's two ways that I'm aware of to classify property, and that's either ag or non-ag recreational. Ag, they don't use... Um, they don't use market value. They use something called like equalized assessed value. And that is based on the soil type or like the value that the soil type. I believe you're correct. Okay. Um, and then, yes, and that's what they would do. So that I get. What I don't get is like, and I don't, I don't need to go into it because those taxes are so low that I just, for the most part, it's not worth me investigating because they're, it's fine. Um, because I don't really understand how they come up with those values, but it doesn't really matter. What it's 
taxed ag for the most part, especially when we're talking about recreational tracks, that the productivity is so low that taxes are generally re very reasonable. So I understand that. And then I understand if it's not taxed as that, it is or assessed, it is assessed at market value, which is, you know, doesn't really matter what you bought it for. It's what they think it, it's worth, right? Mm -hmm. so, okay. So on the timber management plan, it actually goes back to, it is not assessed at fair market value, right? It's assessed at that equalized. It's, it's FDA acres are assessed at a, a one sixth of the farmland tax assessment. Okay. And and they a forester a plan needs to be written by your district forester, state of Illinois employee, or a private consultant who would submit it to the forester for approval. That's the way I understand it. You have to have a minimum of ten contiguous acres of forest land, um, and then that plan once it's approved, that would kick in your. Got reduction it. your in your assessment and your taxes. So the assessment, and we were sitting here trying to figure out taxes, what taxes would be on you know a three hundred thousand dollar property. It's hard because we don't know what the equalized assessed value would be on timber because it's based on soil types and stuff like that. But in general, that is your best option. Right? That's the best or option. That's yeah. your that's your the cheapest option. The cheapest option. Um, now again, if you hire a for, a forest a private consultant, you will pay for them. But yeah. it's like owning a farm. Then it's a business deduction. Yeah. You know your your pickup truck to your chainsaw to your. Uh, I believe I know a lot of farmers, and and they yeah. they deduct everything's business related, and the trees. A forest plan would be done the same way. So a landowner's mileage and and all that stuff could be. You need to have a good accountant yeah. to work with you. But they again, they have to have ten acres, and the plan is good for ten years. And the whole catch to stay eligible for the program, again, my stuff, my services are free, but they have to do the work that's recommended in the plan to yep. stay eligible. So let's talk in a little. Let's first hop to the conservation stewardship just to see what it does to the taxes, and then let's get into a little more detail on what you do. Okay. Because I've done the timber stuff, but I haven't done it in a while, so I'm sort of unfamiliar with what what that is exactly. And I'm, I'm sure it changes from property to property. But um, So on the timber management plan, it changes from market value to assessed value. So that depends on your soil types, but that is going to be your um, most affordable tax rate. On the um, conservation stewardship plan, it remains fair market value, right? The assessment, but it changes from... Uh, the tax assessment, it changes yeah. from the 33.33% down to 5%. What I've got from, yes, what I've got from our, the uh, Bob Caveney, and who is in charge of the stewardship program, taxes are based on fair market value, and residential and recreational properties assessed at 33.33% of the fair market value. So the enrollment reduces assessment to 5% mm -hmm. of the fair market value. Um Significant tax savings with this program, but F FDA is better on the forested acres. Yeah. So it, it, FDA is a better option, but again, this is for, you need a minimum of five acres only to get in the okay. program. When you and say better, you're talking lower dollar amount. Lower dollar amount. Yeah. Because I personally like this conservation stewardship program, but we'll get into that. So okay. what I have, let's say you buy a $300,000 property. If you do nothing, it's, it's assessed at 33%, just like a house. Which is you know call it a hundred grand or ninety nine thousand, uh, 
And then it, you take that times your local tax rate, which is changes depending on where you're at. But if it's 8%, you're looking at just under eight grand. If you do enroll that in a conservation stewardship, that assessment drops from 33% to five, which means that same property um, is now only, if, if fair market value is 300 grand, that means it's assessed at 15,000 and your taxes are 1,200. So you're talking like significant Sig savings. Significant savings, yeah. And the timber plan is hard to figure because we don't know what that equalized value is, but it's going to be even less than your 1,200. You Correct. Know, uh, it's my experience that that 1,200 maybe dropped to 800 or 700. It's cheaper. Um, so let's hop in. Is that that all sounds fairly accurate? Uh, I, we're 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 in the ballpark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's it, it's confusing for me. It's it's still you know my job primarily is to be help a landowner get a plan yeah. developed. Um, as far as conservation conservation stewardship. I'm not a forester, so a plan that I wrote for, I, I, I incorporate timber management, mm -hmm. but I'm not a forester, so I, my plan would not get you, get a landowner into the forestry program, but my plan would be good for conservation stewardship. Yeah. And incidentally, on the stewardship, a landowner, you could write your own plan and submit it. Um, I'm not saying that my plan's better, or yeah. but I might see things that differently, and that that a landowner might want to consider doing that that he may not have experience. Well, with. let's let's do the timber first, then the conservation, because I I agree you were super helpful in ours, and they went very smooth. Timber program we talked about a little bit, but that is essentially managing your timber like it's a crop, long term crop. Long term crop, correct. Uh, that includes. That may include uh, crop tree release. It may include, uh, it probably always includes invasive species control. We have a real problem in Illinois with yeah. bush honeysuckle, and, and I'm not seeing any, any oak tree recruitment uh, because of the honeysuckle choking things out. So it, it may include, like I said, timber stand improvement, crop tree release, and eventually it will include a harvest. And that may not be for 10 or 20 or 30 years. Mm -hmm. It depends. Each woodlot is different. So that's each. It's a farm by farm. So either private or, or public timber, you know, forestry guy comes in and tells you like with their expertise, here's what this patch of timber needs. Mm -hmm. And it Correct. could be if it's strip mine stuff, it could be different than if it's hardwoods. Correct. But they're thinking long term. And then can you, when you, if they say you can harvest some in 15 years, can you collect the income on that? Sure. Is, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're, it's your property and, and, uh, you know, a, a district forester, if they have time can come out and mark timber for a sale, um, and put out bids. A lot of private consultants will do the same work and then you'll pay them. They'll get a percentage of the harvest. Right. Um, so it's, it's, uh, and Timber values are just like any other commodity crop. They go up and down. Walnut tends to always be good. Um, the one thing I would caution, even if you don't have a forestry plan, I would caution all landowners on is to, if they are approached by a timber buyer off the street, be very careful. I would say um, that too. Because they may offer you $1,000 for a walnut tree, when in reality it might be worth 6000 Right. Um, so I would... I personally, I would never harvest timber without a good forest management plan and, a, and, and have it marked by a professional forester. Got it. You're so much well better off. Um, I'm with you on all that. The thing that I, I, if you're in it for a long term, you're going to keep a property for a, 
like, you know, 15, 20 or it's going to be in your family forever. I, mm-hmm. I think that that is fine. For a lot of my short-term investors, I don't like it because at least five, six years ago, things might have changed. When you signed up, you were that property was in for 10 years. It doesn't matter if you changed your mind. It didn't matter if you sold it the next day. So if I buy one, put it in a timber plant, it's only year nine and I sell it, that next buyer has to be cool with it, right? Not necessarily. Really? No, it would be reassessed. And and, and um, I, I think it all would start all over. Okay. And um, uh, I know with conservation stewardship, the, you know, or at least through the Acres Wildlife Program and the plans that I've written for folks prior to all this, all these programs, um, and I will emphasize that when I go on a property, I'm there because the landowner wants me there. Yeah. I don't go where I'm not uh, working. But uh, if I wrote a landowner a plan and he sold the property a week or two later or 10 years later, which has happened, yeah. um, the new landowner can choose to work with us and do continue the plan or modify it or not at all. Okay. So and is that, are you talking forestry plan or conservation stewardship? I would say on... on. I know the stewardship, that's the case. Yeah, I would think, okay. and I again, that I don't know for sure, but if once if a property changes hands, you're starting over. Okay, well, we'll look that up because that might, if that changed, that would change my, my stance on the timber management plan. The only other thing that I don't like about it is, let's say you don't sell it, and they say you need to cut down 10 trees or whatever it is mm-hmm. in year eight. When you get to year eight, like you have to do it. You signed up for it. You, so, If you signed up for it, you need to do what the plan mm-hmm. says in order to take advantage of the tax benefits. Yeah. So yeah. Things, things change, which makes sense. And let's say you, you want to put a cabin up or something and you like these trees. It, it doesn't matter. Like if you said you were going to take them down, they come down. Or they can kick you out of the program. They the the forester has to reassess it yeah. and and look on forestry. They'll reassess it and say if you've done the work, good, you're still in. And yeah. if they haven't done the work, if if it's five six years into the ten year plan, and you've done nothing, they have the option and the authority to kick you out of the program. Yep. Okay. Um, conservation stewardship. Uh, I. This is what I prefer, just because we do this stuff anyway, so it's mm-hmm. not a big. Um, change but so here's how I understand it you tell me what it actually is but what I understand is like if you come up with a plan and again like you said you can the landowner can do it or you can call Kevin or somebody and do it kind of in conjunction Um, but it's anything that benefits wildlife in general is stuff that gets approved correct Um, again I'm going to look at if I'm doing it, I'm looking at each farm on a case-by-case yeah. basis. And I also take into consideration each landowner's objectives. Um, you may be interested in deer, and this guy may be interested in pheasants, and this lady may be interested in songbirds. So I look at each mm-hmm. property differently. And, you know, when I do a management plan... You always, I always like to emphasize management is a trade-off, and what you manage for one species may be beneficial to another, but it may adversely affect something else. Yeah. So we try to, I do try to do a lot of education when I'm doing a plan, and and uh, there isn't, you could have ten different biologists or ten different foresters look at a place, a piece of property, and give you ten different ideas. They're all right and they're all wrong depending on <laughs> what your objectives are and what yeah. what um, you know what the what the biologist sees um you know and i do notice something on my handout here that the stewardship plan can't be transferred cannot be transferred with the sale of a property 
but uh, the new lender can immediately apply, immediately apply the program after and get yeah. into the program after which taking is, possession. Which is one reason I like it is because you know, they, the new buyer has the option to re-enroll it or they can mm -hmm. customize it to what they want. Like if they buy a, a farm that they'd rather focus on upland, we'll change it a little bit. Right. So I and, love that part. Of and on the forestry plan, a plan can be transferred to a new owner. But it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to be. Okay. But it can be. Conservation stewardship, the plan cannot be transferred. Got it. Okay. So again, but it's it's also, not hard to get back into and it. And this, I don't know if this is still the case, but uh, when we did some a few years ago, um, the conservation stewardships, as soon as you're tuning it in your plan, it immediately counts as compliance until it gets re unless it gets rejected. So a lot of times the state's just busy, and if you turn in a timber plan, it can take a while to get approved. It's just, everything. Everybody's covering a lot of counties, yeah. a lot of area. Uh, we're we're definitely not we're not at full staff yeah. on foresters. I think you know whether it's district wildlife or district foresters. There's there's not as many of us as there were when I started. 25 yep. years ago or whatever. Yep. Um, so we're covering a lot of ground. And yeah, you have to be patient. Mm -hmm. and, but the, um, on the conservation stewardship, I believe once I email it or turn it in, it may not get looked at for a while. But as far as tax reasons, when I go to appeal my taxes, I can say I have one. What, what I understand how conservation stewardship is, you submit your plan and it goes to the DNR and then DNR reviews it. And assuming it's approved, yeah. it goes to the Department of Revenue. Okay. Then revenue kicks it down to the county assessor. Now, how long that process takes, I don't know. In the past, when I've had to, um, and I say appeal, it's not appealing. It's just like showing them that I'm in it. Mm -hmm. um, they have given me, um, I believe somewhere in that law, it says that um, when you turn it in, it counts as compliance unless otherwise notified. So I'd go to the, I'd get my little letter that says my taxes went up. I'd call them and say, actually, I turned in a plan with Kevin on the, 28th here's proof of it and they immediately changed it so at least for me that experience was, was very smooth very okay. easy but again county to county it all depends but at least that was in that's happened in knox and fulton where that happened but uh and in my plans in the past just to give you kind of an, an example and we i'm not a diehard deer hunter or i'm not a die i'm kind of a conservation guy in general so we've developed properties that do all of it but uh, as far as specific things that we've had in their plans, it's things like food plots, mowing trails, getting rid of invasive species. We've done uh, even in, um, leaving a part of a property alone, like not even going in there was part of it. Um, mowing trails, I don't know if I said that. Burning, disking, Burning. A, lot of, yep. a lot of the management recommendations I give to a landowner are what people would call destructive, but it's in the timing when you do it, when it's beneficial yeah. to a certain species. And that we talk about that when I work up a plan for a guy. Yep. Um, but why I like it, and I like it for my clients, is most of the new buyers, they they want the stuff done anyways. Whether they're going to do it themselves or hire it, like they're sort of buying it. If, if people are buying these farms, they're not buying it for ag. They want to do these things. They want to plant apple orchards or clover or mow mm -hmm. trails. That's, you know, it's enjoyable. Mm -hmm. So for us, that's a pretty cool program because it's things that we're going to do anyways, and it helps them on their taxes. So that's why I like it, but um, it seems to help, seems to be very um, in line with our current buyer's goal, so it works. Whereas the timber plant sometimes doesn't. But if that's true, that 
it can transfer. That, I think that would change my thinking on it a little bit. My, my ultimate objective with doing it, one is, to, of course, to help the landowner with their taxes, but I also see the opportunity to practice good land stewardship yep. and, and uh, be, a, be a caretaker. So I, that's my, I see my role in things. Yeah, but you have property in Knox County. You do this stuff anyways. I'm sure I'm, you, I'm, you do more than probably on your plan because it, you enjoy the land. You like to see that stuff. It's nice to practice what I preach on my yes, own little piece. 100%. And I, we do the same. We're actually out at the Landco farm now, uh, and we do the same thing. Probably too much. I think we, we usually go over budget on what we're supposed to do. Um, okay, so let's say somebody bought a property, uh, got hit. They want to chat with you or I about it. How would they get a hold of you? They can email me at Kevin, K-E-V-I-N dot Oller, O-L-L-E-R, at Illinois.gov. Or I'll give my work cell phone. It's the state cell phone. Uh, it's 815-535-2508. Uh, if I don't answer, leave a message. I try to call everybody back. The Conservation Stewardship Program Manager is Bob Caveney. And his telephone is 217-782-5719. And the main line for the forestry division is 217-785-8762. If they want to talk to and get into the forestry program, of course, they could go to the DNR website and navigate through all of that and, and get consulting foresters. Uh, there's I know forestry has a list of consulting foresters on on the, on the DNR website um, and find out more information about these programs, basically what we covered. Yep, got it. Well, I appreciate you being here. Uh, also, you guys can get a hold of me. I'll send you, um, get you in touch with Kevin or whoever you need to be. And when it comes to, comes time to do some of the plan stuff, again, we do all that. So um, you have the option of doing it yourself. But if you don't, again, it has to get done somehow, whether you do it yourself or pay someone to do it. Uh, but we can we can take care of that with you uh, again Kevin I appreciate you being here and we can wrap up this one I'm going to try to talk Kevin into stand to talk about a few more things going on in Illinois but uh, we will uh, catch you guys shortly with another episode thanks for listening